Okay, as you guys recall, at the end of chapter five, um, the boys are whining grown-ups. They think that the grown-ups would know what to do. And you guys wrote about the irony of that. So you discussed um, why the why it's ironic that they want the grown-ups when those same grown-ups that they want are in the middle of a nuclear war. So they probably wouldn't be in any better shape than what the boys are right now. So we're going to be starting chapter six. It's called Beast from Air. Um, pay attention because um, there is um, Ralph asked for a sign. If only they could send us something, grown up a sign or something. And that sign's gonna happen in chapter six. Um, and we're gonna, we are going to just keep building on that theme of fear. Okay, guys, so keep watching how William Golding develops that fear. So look at the descriptions that he uses. Look at how he has the boys talk, the words they say, um, their actions, the way they behave. All of that. Okay. Okay. So there was no light left save that of the stars. When they had understood what made this ghostly noise and Percival was quiet again, Ralph and Simon picked him up unhandedly and carried him to a shelter. Piggy hung about near for all of his brave words, and the three bigger boys went together to the next shelter. They lay restlessly and noisily among the dry leaves, watching the patch of stars that was the opening towards the lagoon. Sometimes a little and cried out from the other shelters, and once a big unspoke in the dark. Then they too fell asleep. A sliver of moon rose over the horizon, hardly large enough to make a path of light, even when it sat right down on the water. But there were other lights in the sky that moved fast, winked, or went out. Though not even a faint popping came down from the battle, fought at ten miles height. You guys catch that? Though not even a faint popping came down from the battle fought at 10 miles' height, but a sign came down from the world of grown-ups, though at the time there was no child awake to read it. There was a sudden bright explosion and corkscrew trail across the sky, then darkness again and stars. There was a speck above the island, a figure dropping swiftly beneath a parachute, a figure that hung with dangling limbs. The changing winds of various altitudes took the figure where they would. Then. Three miles up, the wind steadied and bore it in a descending curve around the sky and swept it in a great slant across the reef and the lagoon towards the mountain. The figure fell and crumpled among the blue flowers of the mountainside, but now there was a gentle breeze at this height too, and the parachute flopped and banged and pulled, so the figure with feet that dragged behind it slid up the mountain. So hopefully you guys understand that up above there was a, a battle happening, so that that war, that nuclear war, um, obviously a, a plane was shot down. A parachuter, the pilot, ejected himself from it. So there's a parachute. He didn't survive. And we can see that by the, the feet that dragged behind it. So the figure with feet that dragged behind it, he didn't survive. But he was able to eject himself, but was killed still in the aftermath of that. Um, so yeah, but it says, so the sign, but the sign came down from the world of grownups. So at the time there was no child awake to read it. So they're all asleep when this all happens 10 miles above their head. Okay. And so now this parachute is falling to the island with this dead man on it. Um, so the figure with feet that dragged behind it slid up the mountain yard by yard, puff by puff. The breeze hauled the figure through the blue flowers 
over the boulders and red stones till it lay huddled among the shattered rocks of the mountain top. Here the breeze was fitful and allowed the strings of the parachute to tangle and festoon, and the figure sat, its helmeted head between its knees, held by a complication of lines. When the breeze blew, the lines would strain taunt, and some, and some accident of this pole lifted the head and chest upright so the figure seemed to peer across the brow of the mountain. Then each time the wind dropped, the lines would slacken, and the figure bow forward again, sinking its head between its knees. So as the stars moved across the sky, the figure sat on the mountaintop and bowed and sank and bowed again. So I need you guys to understand the imagery that William Golding is giving us here. This parachute guy has landed on the top of the mountain, okay? But he's all tangled up in the parachute lines. When he, when he fell, he got dragged and pulled, and so the, the lines got tangled around his arms and his, like, his upper body. And then he finally found a resting place. But the problem is, is he's still attached to a parachute. So when the wind blows, the parachute billows, and it makes the guy sit up. Like his whole upper body moves upward. And then when the wind stops blowing, he like bows back down and his head is like on his knees again. So he's way down. And then the wind blows and he sits up again. And the wind dies down, he goes down again. So he's literally sitting on this mountaintop, mixed in with all of these boulders and the blue flowers and the creepers and all of this. And he's sitting up and he's bowing, sitting up and he's bowing. Okay, so I need you guys to see that imagery. So with the movement of the wind, he sits and then he sits, lays back and then he and then he bows back down. Okay. In the darkness of early morning, there were noises by a rock a little way down the side of the mountain. Two boys rolled out of a pile of brushwood and dead leaves, two dim shadows talking sleepily to each other. They were the twins on duty at the fire. Okay, think about where's that fire located? Ooh, on the mountaintop. Where's our parachute guy? On the mountaintop. Okay. They were the twins on duty at the fire. In theory, one should be asleep and one on watch, but they could never manage to do things sensibly if that meant acting independently. And since staying awake all night was impossible, they had both gone to sleep. I want you to look at what William Golding did to the twins there. In theory, one should have been asleep and one on watch, but they could never manage to do things sensibly if that meant acting independently. The twins never act independently. They always do what the other one is doing. And he's actually giving us direct characterization right there. Now they approached the darker smudge that had been the signal fire, yawning, rubbing their eyes, treading with practiced feet. When they reached it, they stopped yawning and one ran quickly back for brushwood and leaves. The other knelt down. I believe it's out. He fiddled with the sticks that were pushed into his hands. No. He lay down and put his lips close to the smudge and blew softly. His face appeared red, lit redly. He stopped blowing for a moment. Sam, give us tinderwood. Do you see how even William Golding is now having them finish each other's sentences? Eric bent down and blew softly again till the patch was bright. Sam poked the piece of tinderwood into the hot spot, then a branch. The glow increased and the branch took fire. Sam piled on more branches. Don't burn the lot, said Eric. You're putting on too much. Let's warm up. We'll only have to fetch more wood. I'm cold. So am I. Besides, it's dark. All right, then. 
Eric squatted back and watched Sam make up the fire. He built a little tent of dead wood and the fire was safely alight. That was near. He'd have been waxy, huh? Ooh, they're a little worried about letting that fire go out. Which one of our two uh, leaders would they be scared of about that fire? They did not want to disappoint Ralph, did they? For a few moments, the twins watched the fire in silence. Then Eric sniggered. Wasn't he waxy about the fire and the pig? Lucky he went for Jack instead of us. Huh, remember old waxy at school? Boy, you are driving me slowly insane. The twins shared their identical laughter, then remembered the darkness and other things, and glanced around uneasily. The flames busy about the tent drew their eyes back again. Eric watched the scurrying wood lights that were so frantically unable to avoid the flames and thought of the first fire just down there on the steeper side of the mountain where now was complete darkness. He did not like to remember it and looked away at the mountaintop. Warmth radiated now and beat pleasantly on them. Sam amused himself by fitting branches into the fire as closely as possible. Eric spread out his hands searching for the, dis- searching for the distance at which the heat was just bearable. Idly looking beyond the fire, he resettled the scattered rocks from their flat shadows into the daylight contours. Just there was the big rock and the three stones there that split rock and there beyond the gap. Just there, Sam? Huh, nothing. The flames were mastering the branches. The bark was curling and falling away, the wood exploding. Once again, I told you guys to pay attention to how William Golding develops the fear in these boys. Remember, it's night. Maybe dawn is just breaking, but the sun is definitely not out. Um, if you've ever if you've ever sat by a, a bonfire, the wood cracks. So when they talk about the wood exploding, it's giving those like pop, pop, pops. The tent fell inwards and flung a wide circle of light over the mountaintop. Sam? Huh, Sam, Sam! Sam looked at Eric irritably. The intensity of Eric's gaze made the direction in which he looked terrible, for Sam had his back to it. He scrambled around the fire, squatted by Eric, and looked to see. They became motionless, gripped in each other's arms. Four unwinking eyes aimed, and two mouths opened. Far beneath them, the trees of the forest sighed, then roared. Okay, if the forest is roaring, that means that what's coming through it? Wind. The wind is picking up. But look at the imagery we get. We don't just get that the wind blew. We have that the forest sighed, then roared. The hair on their foreheads fluttered and flames blew out sideways from the fire. Fifteen yards away from them came the plopping noise and the fabric blown open. Neither of the boys screamed, but the grip of their arms tightened and their mouths grew peaked. For perhaps ten seconds, they crouched like they like that while the flailing fire sent smoke and sparks and waves of inconstant light over the top of the mountain. Though, then, as though they had but one terrified mind, between them they scrambled away down the rocks and fled. What did they see when that wind blew? Do you guys see the detail of the wind or of the um, fabric blown open? If the fabric blew open, what did that parachute guy do? He sat up. And that's what they saw. There's not enough light on the island or on that mountaintop to really see what's over there. And that firewood, the fire was setting off weird shadows. Um, And those two, the twins saw that parachute guy and they didn't think twice. They are running. 
So I want you to think about what they are going to say when they get down to all of the older boys. Ralph was dreaming. He had fallen asleep after what seemed hours of tossing and turning noisily among the dry leaves. Even the sounds of nightmare from the other shelters no longer reached him, for he was back to where he came from, feeding the ponies with sugar over the garden wall. Then someone was shaking his arm, telling him it was time for tea. Ralph, wake up. The leaves were roaring like the sea. Ralph, wake up. What's the matter? We saw the beast. Plain, who are you? The twins? We saw the beast. Quiet, piggy. The leaves were roaring still. Piggy bumped into him and the twin grabbed him as he made for the oblong paling stars. You cannot go out. It's horrible. Piggy, where are the spears? I can hear the quiet then lie still. They lay there listening, at first with doubt and then with terror to the description the twins breathed at them between bouts of extreme silence. Soon the darkness was full of claws, full of the awful unknown and menace. An interminable dawn faded the stars out, and at last light, sad and gray, filtered into the shelter. They began to stir, though still the world outside the shelter was impossibly dangerous. The maze of the darkness sorted into the near and far, and at the high point of the sky, the cloudlets were warmed with color. A single bird, a seabird flapped upwards with a hoarse cry that was echoed presently. And something squawked in the forest. Now streaks of cloud near the horizon began to grow rosily, and the feathering tops of the palms were green. You're also still paying attention to Ralph and his leadership. We're seeing how he's maturing and how he's growing into that position. Ralph knelt in the entrance to the shelter and peered cautiously around him. Sam and Eric, call them to an assembly. Quietly, go on. Twins holding tremulously to each other dared the few yards to the next shelter and spread the dreadful news. Ralph stood up and walked for the sake of dignity, though with his back pricking to the platform. Piggy and Simon followed him, and the other boys came sneaking after. Ralph took the conch from where it lay on the polished seat and held it to his lips, but then he hesitated and did not blow. He held the shell up instead and showed it to them, and then and they understood. The rays of the sun that were fanning upwards from below the horizon swung downwards to eye level. Ralph looked for a moment at the growing slice of gold that lit them from the right hand and seemed to make speech possible. The circle of boys before him bristled with hunting spears. He handed the conch to Eric, the nearest of the twins. We've seen the beast with our own eyes. No, we weren't asleep. Sam took up the story. By custom now, one conch did for both twins for their substantial unity was recognized. It was furry. There was something moving behind its head, wings. The beast moved too. That was awful. It kind of sat up. The fire was bright. We just made it up. More sticks on. There were eyes, teeth, claws. We ran as fast as we could, bashed into things. The beast followed us. I saw it slinking behind the trees, nearly touched me. Ralph pointed fearfully at, well, at Eric's face, which was stripped, which was stripped, striped, striped with scars where the bushes had torn him. How did you do that? Eric felt, felt his face. I'm all rough. Am I bleeding? The circle of boys shrank away in horror. Johnny, yawing still, burst into noisy tears and was slapped by Bill till he choked on them. The bright morning was full of threats, and the circle began to change. It faced out rather than in, and the spears of sharpened wood were like a fence. Jack called them back to the center. This will be a real hunt. Who will come? Ralph moved impatiently. These spears are made of wood. Don't be silly. 
Okay. So they basically they basically have been told that this that this beast is up on the mountaintop, right? Now, what happens when you're scared, especially in the dark? Those nightmares or what they thought they saw become bigger and bigger and bigger, right? That's what your fear does. So all of a sudden, the beast had wings. And don't get me wrong, could it have looked like wings with that parachute behind him? Yes. Claws. They weren't even close enough to that thing to see if it had claws. Teeth and all of this all came out mostly because of the boys' fear, okay? So Jack calls for a hunt, okay? He goes, okay, let's go for a hunt. This will be a real one. They obviously have to take care of this beast. And then look at Ralph. He moved in patiently and he says, these spears are made of wood. Don't be silly. What are a bunch of boys with wooden spears going to do against an actual beast on the mountaintop? Okay, so here's the deal. We know it's not a beast, right? We know that it is from a battle up above, from our war that the grown-ups are having, and it is a dead parachute, a guy in a parachute, okay? Anybody remember the irony that we have when we know something and the characters do not? I'm not going to tell you what it is. What I want you to do is I want you to go back to your irony notes and I want you to label this as that kind of irony, okay? And then the next thing I want you to do is I want you to take a picture of your post-it note in your book where you have it labeled and I want you to send me that picture because I want to make sure you have that labeled as the correct irony in your novel. So you're going to label it as the correct kind of irony. You're going to snap a picture of that post-it note in your novel you're going to send me an email with that picture. Okay, so that I can double check that to make sure you have that labeled correctly. Jack sneered at him. Frightened? Of course I'm frightened. Who wouldn't be? He turned to the twins, yearning but hopeless. I suppose you aren't pulling our legs? The reply was too empathetic for anyone to doubt them. Piggy took the conch. Couldn't we kind of... Stay here, make the beasts, maybe the beast won't come near us. But for the sense of something watching them, Ralph would have shouted at him. Stay here and be cramped into this little bit of island, always on the lookout. How should we get our food? And what about the fire? Let's be moving, said Jack relentlessly. We're wasting time. No, we're not. What about the little ones? I really need you guys to pay attention to, to Ralph and his leadership. You guys should be showing where he has matured and he's acting more grown up, where he's making more grown up decisions. Okay, and you should definitely be marking it. Okay. No, we're not. What about the little ones? Sucks to the little ones. Someone's got to look after them. Nobody has so far. There was no need. Now there is. Piggy will look after them. That's right. Keep Piggy out of danger. Have some sense. What can Piggy do with only one eye? The rest of the boys were looking from Jack to Ralph curiously. They're arguing in front of everyone right now, right? And another thing, you can't have an ordinary hunt because the beast doesn't leave tracks. If it did, you'd have seen them. For all we know, the beast may swing through the trees like what's its name? Ooh, that's an illusion. Mark that down as an illusion and tell me what it's alluding to, okay? Send me that in your email also, a picture of that post-it note. They nodded. So we've got to think. Piggy took off his damaged glasses and cleaned the remaining lens. How about us, Ralph? You haven't got the conch here. I mean, how about us? Suppose the beast comes when you're all away. I can't see proper. And if I get scared, 
Jack broke in contemptuously. You're always scared. I got the conch. Conch, conch, shouted Jack. We don't need the conch anymore. We know who ought to say things. What good did Simon do speaking or Bill or Walter? It's time some people knew they've got to keep quiet and leave the deciding things to the rest of us. Ralph could no longer ignore his speech. The blood was hot in his cheeks. You haven't got the conch, he said. Sit down. Jack's faint face went so white that the freckles showed as clear brown flecks. He licked his lips and remained standing. This is a hunter's job. The rest of the boys watched intently. Piggy, finding himself uncomfortably embroiled, slid the conch to Ralph's knees and sat down. The silence grew oppressive, and Piggy held his breath. This is more than a hunter's job, said Ralph at last, because you can't track the beast. And don't you want to be rescued? He turned to the assembly. Don't you all want to be rescued? He looked back at Jack. I said before, the fire is the main thing. Now the fire must be out. The old exasperation saved him and gave him the energy to attack. Hasn't anyone got any sense? We've got to relight the fire. You never thought of that, Jack, did you? Or don't any of you want to be rescued? Yes, they wanted to be rescued. There was no doubt about that. And with a violent swing to Ralph's side, the crisis passed. Piggy let out his breath with a gasp, reached for it again, and failed. He lay against a log, his mouth gaping, blue shadows creeping around his lips. Nobody minded him. What's happening to Piggy right now? He's kept, he can't catch his breath. His lips are turning blue. He's definitely having an asthma attack. Now think, Jack. Is there anywhere on the island you haven't been? Unwillingly, Jack answered. There's only, but of course. Do you remember the tail end part where the rocks are all piled up? I've been near there. The rock makes a sort of bridge. There's only one way up, and the thing might live there. All the assembly talked at once. That's supposed to say quiet. It says quite in my book, but it should say quiet. Quiet. All right. That's where we'll look. If the beast isn't there, we'll go up the mountain and look The light and light the fire. Let's go. We'll eat first, then go. Ralph paused. We better take spears. After they had eaten, Ralph and the big one set out along the beach. They left Piggy propped up on the platform. This day promised, like the others, to be a sunbath under a blue dome. The beach stretched away before them in a gentle curve till the perspective drew it into, into one with the forest. For the day was not advanced enough to be obscured by the shifting veils of mirage. Under Ralph's direction, they picked up a careful way along the palm terrace rather than dare the hot sand down by the water. He let Jack lead the way, and Jack trod with theatrical caution, though they could have seen an enemy 20 yards away. Ralph walked in the rear, thankful to have escaped responsibility for a time. Simon, walking in, walking in front of Ralph, felt a flicker of incredul incredulity, incredulity. Oh my gosh, I can never say that word. A beast with claws that scratched, that sat on a mountaintop, that left no tracks, and yet was not fast enough to catch Sam and Eric. However, Simon thought of the beast. There rose before him his inward sight, the picture of a human at once heroic and sick. I see that. Simon's thoughts in his head are saying, this isn't adding up. The idea of a beast on the mountain that's got wings, claws, teeth, yet it couldn't catch Sam and Eric running down the, for down the mountain. That doesn't make sense. But in his brain, every time he thinks of the beast, he sees a human being, both heroic and sick. 
so both heroic and evil all at the same time. He sighed. Other people could stand up and speak to an assembly, apparently, without that dreadful feeling of the pressure of personality, could say what they would as though they were speaking to only one person. He stepped aside and looked back. Ralph was coming along, holding a spear over his shoulder. Definitely, Simon allowed his pace to slacken until he was walking side by side with Ralph and looking at him, looking up at him through the coarse black hair that now fell to his eyes. Ralph glanced sideways, smiled constrainedly, as though he had forgotten that Simon had made a fool of himself, then looked away again at nothing. For a moment or two, Simon was happy to be accepted, and then he ceased to think about himself. When he bashed into a tree, Ralph looked sideways impatiently, and Robert snickered. Simon is just different. Like he'd started to daydream, didn't notice that a tree was in front of him, and ran into a tree. Simon reeled, and the white spot on his forehead turned red and trickled. Sam dis or Ralph dismissed Simon and returned to his personal hell. They would reach the castle sometime, and the chief would have to go forward. Jack came trotting back. We're in sight now. All right, we'll get as close as we can. He followed Jack towards the castle where the ground rose sl slightly. On their left was an impenetrable tangle of creepers and trees. Why couldn't there be something in that? Because you can see nothing goes in or out. What about the castle then? Look. Ralph parted the screen of grass and looked out. There were only a few more yards of stony ground, and then the two sides of the island came almost together so that one expected a peak of headland. But instead of this, a narrow ledge of rock, a few yards wide and perhaps 15 long, continued the island out into the sea. There lay another of those pieces of pink squareness that underlay the structure of the island. This side of the castle, perhaps a hundred feet high, was the pink bastion where they had seen from the mountaintop. The rock of the cliff was split and the top littered with the great lumps that seemed to totter. Behind Ralph, the tall grass had filled with silent hunters. Ralph looked at Jack. You're a hunter. Jack went red. I know. All right. Something deep in Ralph spoke for him. I'm chief. I'll go. Don't argue. Do either of them want to go? No, because they seriously think a beast is in here. But Ralph steps up, okay? And flat out told Jack, don't argue with me. He turned to the others. You hide here and wait for me. He found his voice tended either to disappear or to come out too loud. He looked at Jack. Do you think? Jack muttered. I've been all over. It must be here. I see. Simon mumbled confusedly. I don't believe in the beast. Ralph answered him politely as if agreeing about the weather. No, I suppose not. His mouth was tight and pale. He put back his hair very slowly. Well, so long. He forced his feet to move until they had carried him out on the neck of land. He was surrounded on all sides by chasms of empty air. There was nowhere to hide, even if one did not have to go on. He paused in the narrow neck and looked down. Soon, in a matter of centuries, the sea would make an island of the castle. On the right hand was the lagoon, troubled by the open sea, and on the left, Ralph shuddered. The lagoon had protected them from the Pacific, and for some reason, only Jack had gone right down to the water on the other side. Now he saw the landsman's view of the swell, and it seemed like the breathing of some stupendous creature. Slowly, the water sank among the rocks, revealing pink tables of granite, strained growths of coral, polyp, and weed. 
down, down the waters went, whispering like the wind among the heads of the forest. There was one flat rock there, spread like a table, and the water sucking down on the four weedy sides made them seem like cliffs. Then the sleeping leviathan breathed out. The waters rose, the weed streamed, and the water boiled over the table rock with a roar. There was no sense of the passage of waves, only this minute-long fall and rise and fall. Ralph turned away to the red cliff. Okay, so look at what William Golding, a lot of his descriptions are, don't get me wrong, long, and they can be boring, but they're there for a reason, and it's that imagery that we have, these pictures. So the boys have pretty much stayed over in their little patch of the island where there has the coral reef, okay? That coral reef out there kind of makes it so that the rough seas don't come up onto the shore. So they're not experiencing the rough ocean waters, okay? He's walking to go from the mainland of the island onto this castle rock. It is a narrow strip of land. And on one side, it's like the lagoon water. It's really soft and it's just normal. But the other side is out to the open sea. And so there are huge granite rocks that are like flat and large that look like tables. But the the waves are crashing. So it's almost like the breathing of a leviathan, which is a, a huge, enormous sea creature. Okay. But so it looks like it's breathing in and out. Okay, and, and so the waves come and crashing in. So it's just a lot more dangerous feeling on one side than the other. Ralph turned away to the red cliff. They were waiting behind him in the long grass, waiting to see what he would do. He noticed that the sweat in his palm was cool now, realized with surprise that he did not really expect to meet any beast and didn't know what he would do about it if he did. He saw that he could climb the cliff, but this was not necessary. The squareness of the rock allowed a sort of plinth round it, so that to the right, over the lagoon, one could inch along a ledge and turn the corner out of sight. It was easy going, and soon he was peering around the rock. Nothing but what you might expect, pink, tumbled boulders with guano layered on them like icing, and a steep slope up to the shattered rocks that crowned the bastion. A sound behind him made him turn. Jack was edging along the ledge. Couldn't let you do it on your own. Ralph said nothing. He led the way over the rocks, inspecting, inspected a sort of half cave and held nothing that held nothing more terrible than a clutch of rotten eggs, and at last sat down, looking around him and tapping the rock with the butt of his spear. Jack was excited. What a place for a fort! A column of spray wetted them. No fresh water. What's that, then? There was indeed a long green smudge halfway up the rock. They climbed up and tasted the trickle of water. You could keep a coconut shell there filling all the time. Not me. This is a rotten place. So look at the difference these two boys feel about this place. Jack is all about it. It seems like a fort. Okay. And Ralph's like, yeah, no, this isn't a good place. There's not even a lot. There's not enough fresh running water for all of the boys. Side by side, they scaled the last height to where the diminishing pile was crowned by the last broken rock. Jack struck the one near, near struck the near one with his fist and it grated slightly. Do you remember? Consciousness of the bad times in between came to them both. Jack talked quickly. Shove a palm trunk under that, and if an enemy came, look. A hundred feet below them was the narrow causeway, and then the stony ground, 
Then the grass dotted with heads, and behind that, the forest. One heave, cried Jack, exulting, and wee! He made a sweeping motion with his hand. Ralph locked, looked towards the mountain. So what is, so there's a huge boulder on the top of like Castle Rock, and it's a loose one, kind of like the one that they rolled down the mountain on that first day. And so when Jack looks at it and he sees its location, it would go, if, if you stuck like a branch underneath it, like he said, and you, and you use that as a fulcrum to basically move the rock, it would destroy anything that was trying to get into Castle Rock because it would fall right onto that narrow causeway and keep bouncing into the woods. So anybody who was trying, any enemies coming into Castle Rock, into that rock that looks like a castle, would be destroyed. Okay. Now, Ralph, on the other hand, is looking up at the mountain. What's the matter? Ralph turned. Why? You were looking. I don't know why. There's no signal now. Nothing to show. You're nuts on the signal. The taut blue horizon encircled them, broken only by the mountaintop. That's all we've got. He leaned his spear against the rocking stone and pushed back two handfuls of hair. We'll have to go back and climb the mountain. That's where they saw the beast. The beast won't be there. What else can we do? The others waiting in the grass saw Jack and Ralph unharmed and broke cover into the sunlight. They forgot the beast in the excitement of exploration. They swarmed across the bridge and soon were climbing and shouting. Ralph stood now, one hand against an enormous red block, a block large as a mill wheel that had split off and hung tottering. Somberly, he watched the mountain. He clenched his fist and beat hammerwise on the red wall at his right. His lips were tightly compressed and his eyes yearned beneath the fringe of hair. Smoke. He sucked his bruised fist. Jack, come on. But Jack was not there. A knot of boys making a great noise that he had not, not noticed were heaving and pushing at a rock. Remember, I told you to keep an eye on those rocks. As he turned, the base cracked and the whole mass toppled into the sea so that a thunderous plume of spray leapt halfway up the cliff. Stop it! Stop it! His voice struck a silence among them. Smoke. A strange thing happened in his head. Something flittered there in front of his mind like a bat's wing, obscuring his idea. Smoke. At once the ideas were back and the anger. We want smoke and you go wasting your time. You roll rocks. Roger shouted. We've got plenty of time. Ralph shook his head. We'll go to the mountain. The clamor broke out. Some of the boys wanted to go back to the beach. Some wanted to roll more rocks. The sun was bright and danger had faded with the darkness. Jack, the beast might be on the other side. You can lead again. You've been. We could go back. We could go by the shore. There's fruit. Bill came up to Ralph. Why can't we stay here for a bit? That's right. Let's have a fort. There's no food here, said Ralph, and no shelter. Not much fresh water. This would make a wizard fort. We can roll rocks right onto the bridge. I say we'll go on, shouted Ralph furiously. We've got to make certain. We'll go now. Let's stay here. Back to the shelter. I'm tired. No. Ralph struck the skin off his knuckles. They did not seem to hurt. I'm chief. We've got to make certain. Can't you see the mountain? There's no signal showing. There may be a ship out there. Are you all off your rockers? Utinously, the boys fell silent or muttering. Jack led the way down the rock and across the bridge. Okay, so your assignment tonight is focus on characterization in your workbook. So it is 
Um, oh, I want you to do two things tonight. Um, I want you to do at the bottom of page 54, okay, I want you to do the maturity chart. It says, we've seen Ralph rise as a leader, looking back over chapters five and six, come up with five ways that Ralph has shown more maturity and leadership, and a quote to support that. So your statement of theme is, people who are leaders will take charge, even in dangerous, difficult circumstances. So you're going to find five ways that Ralph has shown more maturity and leadership, and a quote to support that, okay? I want you to fill that out. This is your assignment for tonight. And then you also need to do focus on characterization, which is pages 55 and 56. Okay. So I ask you a lot about the how William Golding developed characters, okay? And there should be a PO paragraph on focus on characterization. Okay. So those those are your 100, you have to have that stuff done for tomorrow. Okay. If you have any questions, please send me an email. Also, if you'd like to request a Google Meet, um, I'm actually free after, from 1.30 to 2 today also because 8.2 um, has art. Okay. So happy work time.